Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hello, everyone listening. I have a special guest here that I'm really excited to introduce you to. This is Dr. Bummy, and she is a food addiction coach. She's also well known for her book. She's an author of, I think it's a new book, fairly new, but Craving Freedom, the R4 method for overcoming food addiction. And it's a number one bestseller on Amazon. I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. (laughs) Thank Um, you. And I first discovered Dr. Bummy when she was on Kate Moyerseff, hopefully I'm pronouncing her name correctly, her podcast, ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. So thank mm-hmm. you for joining me today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, my lovely. So yeah, um, Dr. Bummy, you can call me Bummy, and I am a food addiction coach, and I have been since 2017, and it's an absolute passion of mine because of my own journey. Mm. um so i'm i'm just really passionate to kind of impart information where i can help where i can and support where i can yeah um, you, but, yeah. you have a ton of resources out there too i was uh, for those listening yeah. i was combing through your website before this interview and you have training for people that are wanting to actually help people with food addiction yeah. that sort of stuff but lots of different and very accredited i was just blown away by that so amazing job thank you um you should do you have a podcast i didn't see that I don't have a podcast. That's something that I'm going to develop for next year. <laughs> when, okay. When I get the time. <laughs> At first I was going to say, you should start a podcast. And I was like, you know what, Jacqueline, not everyone is meant to do a podcast. So, cause clearly you're an <laughs> author and all those things. So whatever content works best for you, but I feel like based on our little conversation, you might be really good at Aww. podcasting too. Oh, thank you. Well, I think yeah. I'll, I will. I will definitely kind of take the, the mantle next year. Definitely, yeah. it'd be so cool. Well, tell me. So we were already talking about it a little bit, but your journey started from a very young age. What kind of struggles brought you into this line of work? My struggles, basically, I think from a very young age, I had kind of a very odd relationship with food. Um, I was what we call a latchkey kid. Uh, my parents went to work full time. Um, I let myself in at the house, out. So I went to school on my own with my friends. I'd come home. My mother, um, always before they got home from work, she always left a snack for me, like some soup and a flask and a sandwich, and and uh, just to keep me going until they came home, and then she could cook dinner. Mm-hmm. Now I was an only child for like the first 12 years of my life. So I kind of had, you know, came home, let myself in, do homework, watch some television, TV, and have my snack. But then we had this lovely, great big pantry full of different things and food. It was like the Aladdin's cave. And I would kind of a little sneak in and find that extra chocolate bar or the, you know, I would start to kind of delve into things that, I suppose a lot of people think a bit strange, like I'd open the Ovaltine and then mm. get two or three teaspoonfuls of, you know, Ovaltine and eat it raw. 
alcoholic. So oh my God, I'm getting flashbacks. I used to, <laughs> I would do that with like hot chocolate, oddly enough, like just the powder. Yeah. And I never, yeah. I didn't remember that till just now. So yeah, flashbacks. <laughs> or like, you know, jello, you call it jello, we call it jelly. And, you know, open the packet and have two or three cubes, hoping my mum would never find out that I've eaten the jello. It was just bizarre. And I would just help myself to these little, a bit here, a bit there. Hoping, you know, mum mm. wouldn't notice, but it was like my comfort. It was like I was on my own, done all my homework. It was like my my little reward, really. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. That's what I did. That was my kind of peculiar start. Then going into kind of my teens, um, it was more of a, I've got to do well at school. There was a lot of pressure from my, my family. My, my dad is particular. I had to get grade A's, you know, nothing less than grade A's. You know, we come from a kind of a, um, an ethnic group. You know, I'm Nigerian. We came, to, you know, to the country, England, and it was always do well, do education, education, education. So there was an awful lot of pressure on me to do very well. And a lot of that, I think, manifested, a lot of my anxiety manifest with, kind of eating so eating was my more and more of my, my comfort but I was finding that I was eating an awful lot and finding biscuits and I'd get a packet of biscuits and eat all the biscuits um I don't know if you could you call them cookies don't you cookies yeah biscuits cookies bis- biscuits cookies and I'd put margarine on it or butter and I'd put jam on again peculiar mm-hmm. you know and, I, and I'd just eat like half a packet or a packet and I'll just eat it like that Mm-hmm. And then I would start to make myself, I thought, I didn't feel right. Even though I was slim, I, I I just wanted to make myself sick. And it wasn't because of my body shape or anything like that at the time. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was like a purge. It was like just to get rid of my anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, that I'd eaten all this stuff. And then once I threw it, it was a ritual, and I just throw it up and I felt better. Interesting. Because a lot yeah. of people, they start because they're upset with their body size or shape but yours it was just kind of discomfort from the food and then it started becoming this whole thing yeah and just to make me feel better and it's it, to me it was when I look back at it back on it it felt like a self-punishment mm-hmm. you know you you, you you know you could have done better or you know why didn't you get that particular grade there was just an awful lot of self-punishment self-loathing this is when the, I, I'm not good enough started and and it was compounded by the fact that I, we were moved to an area in in Leeds in Yorkshire, um, away from kind of our ethnic community, mm. to um, an all white community, so I could go to a better school. Oh, so okay. I was kind of the only black uh, child there, the only black girl there. Uh, so again, I was very um, conscious of that. Your phone is like, answer me, um, but can you hear but- it? Now? Yeah. yeah, no, but that must have been a very fun being the yeah. only black person always cool with exactly. all the pressure so your dad already put of, on you. I know. So there was a lot of teasing and names called. And again, the oh, self-loathing man. got worse. You know, I'm not good enough. So it, it kind of all kicked off then. The kind of the eating kicked off, the the binging and then the being sick. And, and and that was me for quite a while to the point where I you know my throat was hurting you know I was I was I was vomiting blood I didn't tell anybody I was a bit scared of that but again I just kept it all very quiet because I thought nobody else probably does this this is just mm-hmm. you know weird and I'm a bit ashamed and 
I don't want to tell anybody, so I'll just try and stop. So I did manage to stop, but funny enough, it was what I call cross-addiction, which was then I started to exercise like a demon. Hmm. Exercise, athletics, I was very good at athletic, but that just became all-encompassing. Again, a big preoccupation. Again, to feel good, you know, driving myself, um, you know, working extra hard at school. So that that ism, that addiction, just transmuted into, you know, overstudying, overexercising. So in a way, I, I didn't have to deal with, it was almost like not having to deal with me. Yeah, my you feelings. can just lose yourself and I could just working lose as myself. hard as possible. Yeah, just lose myself, just work hard, play hard, that's it. I'm going into university, um, and again, this is addiction is very interesting. So any, you know, any listeners out there that, you know, you might be able to, you know, find a kind of commonality that you go from one thing to another. The Mm -hmm. next thing that went into was, was, was drink. University was about, you know, alcohol. So that was my, that was my addiction for the next, what, 20, 30 years. Hmm. Uh, wow. um, uh, it was drinking so the food again took a bit of a back seat it was it was drinking um literally seven rehabs in seven years towards the end of it oh you my know, goodness a lot, wow. an awful lot of consequences an awful lot of consequences my anisoribulus was 2008 and that was my last drink and coming out of rehab I just basically said I'm never ever whatever I need to do you know, I will not go back there again. I will not drink again. What was interesting was it was the food. Came back. That came back. And it mm. came back in a vengeance. Um, I wasn't drinking, right? So that's fine. You know, I'm not drinking. That's okay. But it was trying to kind of, it was trying to do the same thing again. It was the way I felt about myself and... You know, it's trying to replace, you know, certain feelings was was food again. And I quickly realized, I think within that first two to three months, you know, the binge eating and it was horrific. You know, it was horrific. It was tubs of ice cream. It was it was out of control. And I started to feel I'm feeling exactly the same way as when I drank, Mm. you know, the compulsion, the that mental obsession that I'm not going to do it again, swearing off, but still doing it again within that day you know, just preoccupied, just thinking about it all the time, you know, when am I going to get my fix? When am I going to have my food? Mm-hmm. And and this was something that went on for a little bit of time. Then I realized that this this is this is addiction. You know, mm-hmm. this this is this is this is addiction. This is like how I felt with alcohol. This is I wasn't drunk, but I wasn't sober. I wasn't thinking straight. Um I wasn't focusing. I was tired, uh fatigued. Um, irritable mood swings all the same all the same things were happening and I thought right okay I need to get some help but also you know going back to AA for you know the 12 step but also look into why I also kept doing it what was within me that you know wasn't wasn't being nourished mm-hmm. you know it's been nourished with alcohol being nourished with food with work what was it that was missing and this is when I talk about the hole in the soul 
This is what I talk about. I'm very interested now. Like, ooh, yeah, I was interested was before, missing. but now I'm like, what's going something on? Something was missing within me. And I felt very, very much not alone, but I felt that I this is something that I have to be responsible for and, and by any means necessary to try and find it. Um, so I looked a lot into addiction in the neuroscience of it. I mm-hmm. I really studied it and, and and thought that's it. This is I am this is the addiction cycle. Wow. The mental well, obsession. Can I ask you um really quickly? Because I was curious about this too. I've learned some about food addiction. I've read books on it and stuff like that. But there's a lot of people, especially in the eating disorder community, they don't like that term and they're kind of like, it's not food. Like you can't be addicted to food. So how do you define food addiction? And like, how did you come to that? I don't know, conclusion. I think it's the the way it's the addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very similar to how I drank that I just had to have it. But there were certain foods. It wasn't all foods. It was mm-hmm. certain foods, and it was certain preferred foods or special foods that we, you know, were high in fat, sugars, and salts. You know, it was your 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 ice cream, your chocolate. You know, I wasn't addicted to apples, or you know, some people are, um, mm-hmm. but you know, primarily I was addicted to things that were high in fat, sugars, and salts, sweets, sugars, ultra processed, all of that, and it. And it was where that, that loss of control, there was a loss of control that I couldn't stop when I started. Even though I was hungry, full, I couldn't stop. And this is where addiction is, that you lose that control, that mm. tolerance level. It doesn't matter. You'll just continue eating. And that's how I equated it to addiction. That was my, even before I even knew the term, I just knew I was addicted to certain foods. Some people don't like addiction and that's fair enough. I understand that as well. Uh, some people do shy away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, addiction is 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 just a pathway. It's a neural pathway that's that's set up. Uh, you know, you become hardwired. So it's only in a cycle that's set up. But a lot of people I do understand may think, oh, it's not addiction. They might call it a predilection or preferred or, you know, they, they you know, they're, you know, the I can't think of any other terms for yeah, I know, you know what you mean. Though. Where it's it's out of control and it's <clears> severe, <throat> and you know, I kind of stand in, I stand strong calling it addiction because it is that powerful. Mm-hmm. You know that you become powerless over it. You know, you, you, you and and yeah. and so for me, for me, it feels comfortable calling it addiction, but I understand if people don't like well, that word the reason I asked you is just because I tend to use the word addiction a lot and draw comparisons when I'm talking about for mine it was a compulsion like the binge eating it was definitely felt like an addiction even though it wasn't alcohol it wasn't these common substances you see and while I use some methods in my own of my own recovery process with other people that wouldn't be probably what you'd use for addiction recovery I felt like the mm. behaviors themselves were addictive like the pathways the dopamine yeah. hit like the cravings so I relate a mm-hmm. lot and I I don't always use the word but I don't think we should shy away from it because it can seeing that way can be really helpful and I think yeah. so. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, and more and more people are recognizing the term as, yeah, this is this is something that's that's here, that's here to mm-hmm. stay. And I think addiction in general has gone up. Um, whether yeah. it's alcohol, food, gambling, sex, porn, you name it, it's it's shot up, especially since COVID, that we are living in addictive society. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I um, I don't know why people, this is getting off topic, so I'll go back to like how you recovered and stuff like that. But I think people, I think people don't like the word because it's associated with, um, you know, kind of people shooting up with, you know, needles maybe or, Right. I don't know what it is, but it, it, addiction is 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 a scientific, you know, term. It's a pathway, mm-hmm. uh, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's addiction is the opposite of connection. You know, when we're mm-hmm. not connected with ourselves, when we're not connected with other people, that's when addiction becomes rife. So, you know, addiction is opposite of connection. That's how I see it, and it's it's it it is a you know hard to discuss topic with with many people and I do understand that but we can't shy away from it anymore it's like the elephant in the room now it's there (laughs) well and a lot of people like even if let's say we discover it's not an addiction at all which I feel like it probably is in some ways um it doesn't help that because people feel that way right so you have to kind of reach those people and talk about it but tell me like if you feel like you're actually in food addiction you are an addict how do you go about even solving that? How did you go about solving that? I went about it in, in several ways and it was a, a journey of exploration for me. And in the early days, there was not really anything called food addiction, but I knew I had to start tapping into what are my needs? What What is not being met? That was number one thing. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, and it was about that hole in the soul. It was about the ultimately successful doing really well in life everything was going really well when I got into recovery but it was again it was that old self-loathing was still there from when I was little you know the self-loathing self-esteem never that even though I feel very confident my self-esteem was low so Mm. I had to start working on that self-love and that self-care and I know for some people that might sound like a cliche but that was really what started the healing process was giving myself permission to be vulnerable to people who could help me. Um, Cause there was always this, like, you've got to be a powerful black woman and, and you can't mm-hmm. show any, you can't show any um, emotions. And, and I did a lot of that for, for many, many years. And I had to really let go and find the people I could trust. I could talk to, you know, and also start building up my self-esteem in, in many ways with therapy and, and doing sort of self-work and doing a lot of reading as well, but reaching out and and, and getting the help that I needed um, and taking it a step at a time, just taking it step by step by step that mm-hmm. Rome wasn't built in a day. But I know that my big why was, you know, I had such a big why, such a big compelling why to, you know, heal myself from, you know, food addiction, binge eating, whatever you want to call it. Um, and addiction in general, because I know that if I'd stopped the food, it would be back to the alcohol or back to the work or back to whatever. And it was back to one thing or another, and I I was sick to death of bouncing around. I just wanted to live a life that was peaceful, that was kind to myself, Mm -hmm. um, that I could kind of get on in life, because a lot of the time this stopped me doing from so much. Um, You know, the things I really wanted to do, and it's a very much, you know, two steps forward, one step back when, you know, you're, you're, you're in the addiction or, you know, in the binge eating, in, in that behaviour. And there's so much I wanted to achieve that, you know, I, I just was just stopping me. You know, this was mm-hmm. stopping me. 
Um, so not really living my best life. Yeah. You know, the life I that find... I truly deserved. And With... With like uh, self-care and treating yourself better. I know you said that first and like filling your needs and it does sound cliche, but that was like about six months before I binged for the last time is when I started treating myself differently, started being nicer to myself, started addressing yeah. what, like what's really bothering me, even though the, the addiction or binge eating, believe me, was still there. It lessened in frequency just because I wasn't being yeah. so horrible to myself all the time. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that was very, very important to me. And the little exercises that I did, for instance, I mean, I was also got into the holistic side, the alternative therapies. So I became um, a Reiki, um, practiced Reiki, um, became a Reiki master. I loved Reiki. So even level one Reiki, which is kind of the, it's real self-care. It's like, you know, um, palm healing, hand healing positions in your body, because it's in your body as well. It's trauma. It's, you know, that's in your body. And just to be able to, you know, use something like Reiki on myself, which I now use with other people, um, has really, really helped. But crystals, and I first came into the alternative uh, therapies because I was advised when I, when I came out of rehab and I was starting to binge, my doctor said to me, I think the best thing for you to do is go on anti antidepressants. Hmm. And I went, no chance, because if I go on antidepressants, I'm I'm addicted. I know that for a fact. I'm not going to go off them, you know. Hmm. And I just needed a way to, to feel better without drugs or drink or food. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine, she just we were just chatting about it, said, look, my doctor's told me to go on Prozac. I don't really want to go on it. I know I'm going to stay on it if I do go on it. I don't want that. And um, and she suggest suggested, um, she's a very good friend of mine today, Anna. I said, go and see Anna. She's a shaman. Now, I never knew what a shaman was, what's a shaman. Okay, let's go and see her. So I booked in a session with Anna and she used crystals on me hmm. and other things. And... I would say probably the, the first two or three sessions, it was like, oh, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, I just felt amazing. Just I felt like something was looking after me, that it was going to be OK, that life's going to be all right if I, you know, followed my recovery. But this is whatever it was that's unseen is supporting me. This feels really, really good. So I went back to Anna and I just said, look. I want to know more about crystals. You know, would you do a little workshop with me? I knew they were working because I'm one of the biggest, I suppose, biggest cynics when it mm -hmm. comes to what I thought wasn't scientific. Um, but something was working and I didn't know what it was. And so she, we we talked about crystals and the basic and we did a workshop. And ever since then, you know, I've worked with crystals. I love them. They, they give you a vibration of joy. Um, just in simplistic explanation, I think crystals are here to work with us, to, to balance us, to ground us, to raise our vibration. And I've been an absolute devotee since then. So it was the crystals that I got fascinated by, Reiki, all about grounding and peace, self-love, and then all the holistic, other holistic things that I've done, which I just think have turned... I've really turned my recovery into a just really upgraded life. It's just, it's not about recovery. And I just used to say to myself, if it's all just about 
just not stopping eating or drinking, then that wouldn't be enough. That had to be, I had to live a life of joy, live mm -hmm. a life where I feel uplifted, joyful, fulfilled, that I can start fulfilling what I want to fulfill in my life. And all these holistic alternative therapies really, really helped me and, and yeah. do today. Well, so, even like with, with crystals, I, I'll be honest, like I'm a skeptic when it comes to crystals for sure. But yeah. I find that when you are searching to heal yourself, going for any and all methods and if you find them to be effective again like let's say like in the future we find crystals aren't effective or something like that but if it's helping you you know and it feels like you mm -hmm. really enjoy it and you like it and you're finding effects from it then what's the harm right and i, I was listening yeah. to this story the other day of someone who they went through traumatic accident they were the doctor said they're basically going to be paralyzed and they just sought out every single method under the sun and that optimism and drive and continually taking action towards it really held them so and i would agree yeah. also outside of all that it's not just about recovery i use the term recovery a lot and you want to recover but what i mean by that is that you want to live a full life right like that's right live a life yeah. beyond recovery Exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely agree with you. And that's what I wanted to strive towards was your uh, these wonderful things that I want to do in my life. But, you know, all this is stopping me, you know, my binge eating, my behaviours, they're all stopping me from, you know, really feeling, you know, fulfilled in life and being able to help other people as well. You know, I wasn't in a position to do that. And, and mm -hmm. so, so long as whatever you find you know, when you're searching for kind of alternatives, that it doesn't become an obsession. Right. That that yeah. doesn't become an obsession, you know, mm -hmm. like exercise, people exercise and they over-exercise. And I think it's just, again, knowing yourself, tuning into you, becoming more self-aware, mm -hmm. you know, um, creating <clears throat> boundaries is very important to me. Um, and again, through my journey, I was very much the people pleaser. So my boundaries were, literally there was there wasn't any boundaries so it was yes i'll do that i'll do this yeah no there was never a no because i wanted people to like me because i didn't like myself and mm -hmm. and again you know creating those boundaries over the years and saying no to things when you know what I, I want to say no to them and and standing in that power you know standing in my power you know mm -hmm. attaining my you know sovereignty yeah well with all of these things that you changed in your life, did the addiction just kind of melt away or did you have to do any behavioral things or change anything about the way you were eating? Was there anything? Yes. There? Oh yeah. 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 That's, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, that's, there was two things going on. It's your program, whatever mm -hmm. program it was that you, you know, you, you wish to be on what suits you, what resonates with you. And I think that's important you know, what suits you and resonates with you, whatever program. There's so many programs out there now, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I was a program that, you know, suited me. Then I brought all these other things in. So with the eating, yeah, there was a program about food planning. That was very, very important, mm -hmm. you know, creating the daily routine and daily rituals. So I gave myself space to recover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean. It's important to give you, yeah to give yourself space to recover because half the time I was chaotic and there was no daily routine. Um, I was a big multitasker and prided myself on it, but I was like the swan with a little, you know, looking elegant 
and then below the water, there's these legs kind of kicking frantically to kind of look. Mm. That was me. So, and I wanted to stop that because it was tiring. So, you know, getting a really good daily structure, because that's where the brain starts to go from sympathetic, fright and flight to parasympathetic. So you're starting to invite that rest and digest part of your brain to mm -hmm. kick in where you can do your daily routines and that you love your little daily rituals like your Reiki and meditation, breath work, yoga, that kind of thing. All those little complementary things that are going to just really aid and motivate you to carry on, you know, your program. Mm -hmm. You know, that is so important. So those had to kick in. Then looking at the, the trigger foods and looking at the foods that I would go to and, you know, looking at the emotions around them, and then seeing what I could do instead. You know, when that comes up, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, what's your support circle? What can you do? Um, mm -hmm. Making sure that I'm eating regularly, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, that was important. You know, removing those trigger foods, you know, those preferred foods or special foods mm -hmm. so that, my, you know, my brain was nourished. I wasn't left hungry. Because a lot of the time with yo-yo dieting, it's about starvation, is it deprivation? So our, our brains and our bodies are talking about starvation, feast, famine, feast, famine. And it's a bit strange to us sometimes to just feel normal. Fine. <laughs> yeah, fine. it feels weird. And it feels weird. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of my clients find, find it really, really too alien sometimes. It's like, oh, I don't like this because I feel... You know, all right, there's no hunger. There's no big fullness. It's just, we're just right. Nice. Mm -hmm. well, <laughs> and sometimes like the feeling overly full or the feeling crazy hungry is that distraction, right? It's something that you kind of get addicted to in itself. Absolutely. You've got, yeah, nail on the head there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, looking at the emotions around it. So there's, there's an awful lot of unpacking and repacking. Mm -hmm. certain things um, well, did you, you know did you find the emotions like to be a big because when you say food addiction for people sometimes they're like you just need to remove certain trigger foods but for you it was definitely like dealing with the emotions surrounding that food having a support circle having other things are helping you um yeah. actually have space but then also you did have to remove some trigger foods yeah i mean it's i mean put it this way it's like it's a journey and it's Okay, some you know some people might say, oh, I'm never gonna, I, I can't have that you know chocolate or anything. There's no way I'm gonna give up that chocolate. Mm -hmm. They go, okay, that's fine, you know. And this is what I used to do. I'm not giving it up, you know. I'll just have a bit at a time. But within not even two days, three days, I'll be back eating. So it was a journey of exploration. It's like, okay, you you try you try that then, you know, see how that works out for you. Mm -hmm. And then you just realize that you, you, you've got the, you know, you've got the, I call it the flavor, you know, you've got that phenomenon of craving where you're, you're physiologically, you, the, the tissue hunger experienced mm -hmm. by that particular food, is you're just ravenous again. Mm -hmm. So it's a question of what do I really want? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you Does find... it mean if I... Go ahead. Sorry. Does it mean if I, you know, if... If I remove this, you know, what beautiful, delicious, real food can I have that's going to help? So this is, it's, 
it wasn't a case of I can't have that, but it's what else can I have that's nice and is not going to trigger me. I've got to a point now in my recovery that I can walk down the aisles, shopping aisles, supermarket aisles. There's certain foods I know I can't eat because it will just trigger off, but I don't trigger. I don't feel like that's a trigger food now. It's just I'm placed in what I call a position of neutrality. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, you know, it's there. I don't need it. It, it. it doesn't enhance my life. I feel all right. I don't feel like this tug of, oh, shall I, shan't I, shall I, shan't I. It's like, hey, don't need it. Mm. And it's nice that it's the same with alcohol and it's the same with, with, with food, that it's a really nice feeling to feel free of that, free of that yeah. tug, 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 you know, push, pull. Yeah, there's an idea of abundance with that too, of instead of just focusing, like they say, you should not focus on what you can't have, but what you can have instead. Yeah. And go around there. The thing I'm thinking in the back of my mind too um, is because, like, for me, I'm not sure if it was full food addiction because I can have like ice cream and cakes and Mm -hmm. it's not like I'll have it and I don't binge on it Mm -hmm. but for some people I do believe that is the case that I'm not sure how many people this affects and who all it it should be prescribed different things but some people may never be able to kind of return to certain foods again so is that the same for you like some foods you just will never go back to um because the food addiction um there's there's certain foods that I won't go back to but it's just a choice really you know, mm-hmm. um, and I always remember, I think it's always also having that, just that awareness of where did it take you to? Mm. But it's like with me and alcohol that how many times did I try and relapse and try and relapse and try and relapse until it was like, I've got the message, mm-hmm. you know, I can't. Um, but I didn't feel shortchanged because I had all the other things in place um yeah. which just so it just didn't matter and mm-hmm. you know that the, the, the end of the day it's you know what matters to you you know do you want to go through a life of you know yo-yo dieting or backwards and forwards and I've done it again that soul destroying feeling that I've 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 done it again you know I've lost control um it's when do you get sick and tired of being sick and tired mm-hmm. yeah and then it's- when does it become it becomes a choice and then it becomes such a choice that you just choose life you choose to feel good mm-hmm. you choose not to i don't want to wake up with a carb hangover or mm-hmm. this monumentally awful brain fog mm-hmm. you know or snapping at my kids or just not wanting to go out because i'd rather eat and so i'm missing all these lovely events with my family so that's what dawned on me at the end of it was what is my big why why do I want to achieve all these things Mm -hmm. but I don't want to do it and suffer I don't want to struggle that's why you know slowly inviting lovely alternative foods real foods that nourish me that made me feel healthy that made me feel good and having all those little rituals in place that that replaced food, mm-hmm. you know, little rituals that far replace food, yeah, you know, and gives you that soul satisfaction. And 
what I find in rituals is what I couldn't find in food in the end. Mm -hmm. So it's there's lots of little pieces to the puzzle, which eventually, given the time, given the patience, path of self-awareness, curiosity, mm -hmm. you know, you, you get onto this path, which is just a lovely path and of food freedom, peace around food. Um, but it does take some work. Yeah, absolutely. I think that people listening might find a lot of freedom in your words because I don't, again, I don't like everyone has to be abstinent from certain foods, like because yeah. it just wasn't my journey. But I think there are people like that out there. And mm -hmm. there are not many people that speak about this because there's a lot of like shame around it. I think people are like, well, that's restriction. That's, you know, you can't keep that up. That's using willpower, that sort of stuff. But I hear what you're saying. And I think that there's a place for being abstinent in a way that is your choice. And like you said, you got the message loud and clear. And over time, it's like, you don't want it because each time you go back to it, it's the same experience over and over again. And for those mm -hmm. people listening that have that experience and it like the kind of full abundance with having these foods and eventually will be better doesn't match for them I think what you're saying is going to be really comforting and freeing for them yeah but as you said everybody's different and I think everyone has their journey of exploration mm -hmm. and it's being honest with themselves yeah at the end of the, you know is this actually really working for me well yeah I can you know if you can that's fine but abstinence also means you know f you know abstinence of self-loathing yeah you know it's self, not just about the you food. know self hate. It's abstinence of all these things that have kept us eating. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's how I see abstinence. Again, it's perception, isn't it? It's you know, it's that feeling of just feeling wonderful mm -hmm. and not feeling awful about yourself. And so it's everybody's choice. But you know, as I said, I stand strong in you know the word food addiction and mm -hmm. food addiction. As there are papers out there now, I mean, we, you know, it stands strong that, the, you know, food addiction, actually, the signs and symptoms of food addiction actually run right through the eating disorder spectrum. Mm -hmm. So anorexia, the signs of food addiction, bulimia, you know, binge eating disorder and food addiction. So it, it runs right through. Within mm -hmm. binge eating disorder, there was a survey, there was an article on has been it. You know, it's been well researched that over 60, probably 70 percent of, uh, you know, people with binge eating, suffering binge eating disorder have signs of food addiction. Mm, yeah, that makes sense to me. That's that's not very surprising. I so, think, too, with I was when you were speaking about like it's a choice and abstinence and like what you want. Um for me, binging, I did remove trigger foods from my house originally um, when I was stopping the binging. Yeah. And there are times well still when I want to go towards behaviors. Like, I'm much better now, and, like, the urges are very minimal. But especially in the first years after, there were times where it's like, oh, binging sounds really great right now, or purging sounds really great right now. But what helped me also was kind of this idea of abstinence from those behaviors and being like, you know, there's part of me that maybe wants it, but there's part of me that understands that if I go there, it's going to be all hell breaking loose. And yeah. even though I'm technically restricting myself from this behavior, it's for the betterment of everything that I stand for and what I want to do with my life. It's not going to help yeah. me. Yeah. So exactly. I can relate to you on that as well. 
yeah yeah that's totally great but as I said everybody has their own journey um mm -hmm. this was my journey uh, and that was a journey of exploration but I know for a fact there are certain foods that I actually choose I don't want to eat them <laughs> yeah now I don't there's not even a I'm not bothered I know what they'll do to me but mm -hmm. I've got to a place where there's no struggle anymore about it and that's that's what I want recovery to be. It's not a struggle, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to be thriving in recovery. We need, to, we need to be living this beautiful, upgraded life that we all deserve. Mm -hmm. and, I think you've and... definitely done a good job of it too. You've really gone and not only did you address the behaviors, the food, but then you made your life much fuller. And then I'm sure you found fulfillment in your career too, which... Oh, I love phenomenal. it. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm absolutely passionate about it. And I've gone a little bit further as well because I just feel also there are I've 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 become an advanced um future life practitioner and past oh, cool. life regression. And I actually work with people in recovery um or in a, in the addiction space um, where we look at the root cause. So we go back and maybe look at past life regression and look at where it started mm, and future life is really great because again that just empowers your your why your big why for recovering and having a, a fantastic life so we kind of get messages from your future self and bring it back into the present to mm -hmm. embody so this is very pioneering and that I is. love it and this is beginning part of my yeah it's part of my service now and it's fun it's very very fascinating honestly love it so yeah for people listening um if you can't see her she's got the biggest smile on her face like she definitely <laughs> is excited about it so yeah well I, I know we didn't even talk about the original reason I brought you on but I think our conversation has taken a great direction so thank you so much yeah. I always like oh, to finish welcome. with asking guests two questions I'll first ask um if you could give advice to anyone out there that's struggling like just tell them one thing what would it be you're not alone. You go and find some help. There's mm. so much help out there now. There's so much help. You're not alone. Half the time there's, you know, we feel shame and guilt with what we're doing. And it's a lonely feeling. And just to let that person know, the listener, that there is so much help that, you know, people will be there with open arms and, and help you mm. if you want to help yourself. So I love that. Yeah, don't feel like you're alone. Yeah, those so simple, straightforward. Like you're not alone. Go get help. I yeah. just, and it's true. Like the sooner you get help, the sooner you find support. The more likely it is you're going to. And recover. there's a lot of kindness out there. There's a lot of kind, mm -hmm. kindness and compassion, you know, with with groups and programs. So don't ever feel that you can't go. Yeah, there. Most people are gonna welcome you in that space because they understand they get what it's mm. like so yeah. you're right and then where can people find you if they want to discover more about you right it's um www.thefoodaddictioncoach.co.uk hmm. yeah that's really simple and straightforward too it is <laughs> and is your instagram the same is it just the food addiction coach the food the... yeah the food addiction coach exactly the okay. same yeah that's perfect especially when you have the actual thing you deal with in the and on name. facebook as well <laughs> okay yeah awesome yeah, it says what it does on the tin <laughs> mm -hmm. well thank you so much for joining us i really appreciated our talk i thought it was interesting and again i i think that people out there who are struggling who aren't finding 
finding the answers they need with maybe traditional eating disorder advice or something like that will really take comfort in your words. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. Jacqueline. Yeah. Bye. Bye everyone listening. Hey, if you found this episode helpful, check out my website at bingebreakers.com. It has free courses, awesome group coaching and private coaching available to you right now.